Retirement in this country is broken. We work ourselves to death and miss out on so many of life's experiences along the way. There's got to be a better way. David Adams is a certified financial planner and CPA and founder of David Adams Wealth Group, an independent firm that offers securities through Raymond James Financial Services and is here to help you learn how to retire while you work and develop a different way of thinking when it comes to managing your money. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, David Adams, and this is Retire While You Work. And you can hear us every Sunday on News Radio 1510 WLAC. Thanks for listening. And I'm here in studio today with a very special guest, Rachel Holder. Hello, Rachel. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely glad you're here. Now, Rachel is a very successful blogger, and she hosts a regular health and wellness segment on Nashville's NBC affiliate WSMV. And she's also an avid user and blogs for Joe Cross. Uh, you may have heard of him from the documentary Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. And she appears on Juicing Radio and has a passion for holistic health. And this led her to discover essential oils. And she does some work with Deterra International, lives in Murfreesboro with her husband and two young sons. And again, she's my special guest today. And she's going to be reading some of your questions in a future segment here in a few minutes. And also going to be with us on our fourth segment to discuss a very important topic, elderly parents and their financial health and how to sustain wellness as they age. Very important. So thanks again, Rachel, for being here. Now, I want to start today's show by talking about something that's hopefully going to change the way that you feel about not just investing, but financial advisors, and that would include myself. little secret here, the more you save and invest, the more money that we make as advisors. And this is just a simple truth about the industry, but here's the issue, is that it should not be that way. And what I mean by that is, you know, what's the advantage to Wall Street to tell you to save less? And to be honest, quite frankly, there's no advantage to Wall Street or even to me to tell you to spend more instead of save. So, you know, you have to think about what are you saving and planning for if it's not to enjoy your money? So I cannot stress enough how imperative it is for you to find an advisor whose philosophy aligns with yours. And maybe your philosophy isn't the same as mine, but that's my philosophy and that's why I do this show each week. I strongly encourage you to find an advisor that has an investment philosophy that, first of all, is easy to explain. This should be an, very easy for you to understand. You shouldn't need a PhD, and you, you need to know what your advisor is doing for you. Their, their approach needs to be process-driven. It needs to be time-tested, and ultimately, it's there to meet, to meet your goals, not the advisor's goals. So that's my uh, goal on this show, and that's my philosophy as an advisor, and that's to help you retire while you work and to enjoy life now and not later. So again, what are the considerations of a good advisor? That's the goal is to help you find one and to make and to find one that uh, meets your family's goals and that you can work with and understand and feel comfortable with. Now, I'll tell you this. My philosophy is a dir direct result of the struggles that I've seen with my own family growing up and even more recent. My father almost worked himself to death trying to save every penny throughout the years. And I personally wish my father had worked with an advisor much, much earlier but, you know, like most people, I think my parents believe that they needed millions to work with an advisor and that there wasn't one accessible to them. But that's simply not the case. So here's what an advisor can do, can do for you and really can do for anybody. They can work with you to help clarify your assets. Now, your assets, what I mean by that would be the things that you own, your house, your bank accounts, your IRAs, retirement accounts. 
Also, your liabilities. This would be what you owe. How much do you owe in your house? Do you have any rental properties? What's the, the mortgage there? Do you owe in your car? So again, your assets, your liabilities, and then help you go through and really differentiate between your income and expenses, otherwise known as a budget. Also, you want your advisor to help you review your pensions. If, if you're one of those few that's lucky enough to have a pension or other income sources so that you can project your retirement needs and also help meet any of those long-term financial obligations, paying off debts, that sort of thing. So there are options for all families and all financial levels. You don't have to have millions. There are things now called robo-advisors. Who would have ever thought we'd have robo-advisors? But they're out there and they're making um, a big entry into the market. There's also do-it-yourself options. A lot of people have been doing that for years and those, can, those tools continue to uh, elevate. And then there's CFPs like myself, Certified Financial Planners, so there's, there's some way, whether it's do-it-yourself or an advisor, where everybody can get assistance. And I strongly recommend that you do this. Now, if you have specific questions about how, how to find a financial advisor to meet your needs, and by no means is this a shameless plug for myself, because it has to be a good fit, has to be a win-win, please contact me. You can find me at retirewhileyouwork.com and click the Contact Us button in the top right, and I'll help you find somebody or at least help you find the best solution to meet your needs. Very, very important. Now, I have a couple of minutes left before our first break, and I wanted to talk about something. Uh, I, I can't help myself but talk about the election just for a few minutes. And I know we've talked about this more than we want, and I certainly, this is all I've talked about for probably the past six months. Um, but let, let me just say this, our market, and this is not a political statement. This is just taking it back to the stock market and your money. Our market has thick skin. I remember back when I had clients when Obama won that they were just convinced that the market was going to tank. And now with Trump, they feel the same thing. We're taking all our money out of the market. We're leaving the country. And the reality is, whether you agree with Trump or you're protesting or you're absolutely elated, let's talk about the things that matter to the market. And that's fiscal policy. And that's how companies feel. Do companies feel rich or do they feel broke? Are they scared? Are they greedy? Are they going to put more money back into their business? This is what matters. And this is what makes the market go up. And so my opinion for what it's worth is that right now, companies feel a sense, some sort of sense of hope in relation to tax relief around the corner. And maybe somebody that's, that's, that isn't a career politician that is going to promote less regulation. And typically, this is good for the market in theory, taking out social issues and that sort of thing, just talking about the market. And the big question, I think, with Trump is going to be, what kind of leader is going to show up? Is he going to hire smart people and let them make, make him look smarter like a good leader typically does? Or is he going to let his ego dominate? And this is what everybody's waiting to see, and we won't know for a bit. But I'll tell you, the market now, it has some sort of peace and certainty just knowing that the election is over and that there was really a fairly nice transition uh, with the speeches and the pass-off from, uh, from Obama over to Trump and the concession speech by Clinton. So you know, now, now all we need to do is start talking about who's going to run and win in two, 2020, right? Absolutely kidding. Perfect time for a break with that. You've been tuning in to Retire While You Work on News Radio 1510 WLAC. I'm your host, David Adams. And when we come back from break, we're going to answer some of our listeners' questions, our top five most compelling questions of the week, and hear what's on your mind when it comes to your money and life. Back in a few. Hello, and welcome back to Retire While You Work. I'm your host, David Adams. 
And I have Rachel Holder as my guest today who's going to be reading some of your questions throughout the week. And every week I get these questions from the listeners and also clients that come into our office. And the goal of this segment is to answer these questions, not just in a cookie cutter financial planning perspective, but really in a way that hopefully adds value and really leads into that retire while you work mindset. So that's the goal today. And you can always go throughout the week and submit your questions to us at retirewhileyouwork.com and click the contact button at the top right of the screen. We'd love to get your questions and answer what's on your mind. So, hello, Rachel. Hey, thanks for having me again. Absolutely. What's on our listeners' minds? This one's great. It's several questions in one, but I love it. Um, They said, David, we'd love to find a financial advisor and are planning to come in and meet with you. So, here's my question. How do financial advisors get paid? How do you get paid for investments you recommend? Do some of your clients pay more than others? Are you paid commissions on investments or other products you sell? Do you receive payments from mutual friends, mutual funds, I'm sorry, or investment companies you recommend? And aside from what I pay you, what other costs will I incur? These are all things I've wondered, too. I think these are all top, all of the top five questions of the week in one, right? Exactly. <laughs> no, no, so about fees. Okay, this is great. We, we work for free, right? I'm just, just kidding. That <laughs> no, but I'll tell you, there are a lot of questions to this question, a lot of complexity, but um, you know, and I can even sense a little anxiety in this question, and that's okay because I honestly I think it's the elephant in the room, just with Wall Street in general. So, um, you know, whether clients that come into our office, that's it, it really is the elephant in the room. What I've learned over 15 years of doing this is just to tackle that question head on. So that's what we're going to do today. I'll say this first of all: is it depends. Big picture, there are really two types of advisors when it comes to fees. At least there's commission and there's fee based advisors. So let's talk about a commission advisor. This would be where the advisor gets paid upfront for placing you into some type of product. And fee-based would be where they get a percentage kind of year over year. And this fee would fluctuate as your accounts go up or down. So one of them's upfront, one of them is kind of a pay-as-you-go. Now, personally, I'm a fee-based advisor, and this is important to me. I'm very passionate about this because I think sitting on the same side of the table with your client is very important. There's accountability and not getting paid up front and having to earn that dollar um, every year alongside of your client. Um, and honestly, I think that's where the industry's headed. It really aligns everybody's interests. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the commission approach because sometimes that's better for someone or it can even be a little bit cheaper over time. Um, there's, there, I could go on for hours on that topic, but you know, for from the standpoint of time, I just wanna say that the fee that you pay to your advisor absolutely should be transparent. It's, you know, all of our client statements, you can see the fee. So every quarter when that fee-based um, account is billed, it's, showed right there in the, it's shown right there on the statement as a uh, quarter one fee. Now, I'm not allowed to talk about specific products because they apply in so many different directions to different investors, but there's also some internal fees depending on what you own. So there's other fees when you look under the hood, but it goes back to a good advisor should always explain both of these types of fees. Now, Rachel, I'll say to that to that listener that the average range on this kind of fee-based advisory fee is around one to one and a half percent a quarter, and that usually depends, of course, on the size of the account, um, and also if you're doing financial planning or if the advisor is just letting you invest their money with no other financial planning meetings. So that one to one and a half percent range, give or take a little bit, I think is reasonable. But ask the advisor to explain. Put it all on the table. Uh, and, and, and remember, the value proposition of your financial advisor is really this simple. Is it worth pay, paying this person 1% over time to help keep me? So if I'm, if you're thinking through this, 
I would use his thought process. Is it worth 1% to help keep me from making a fear-based mistake? Think 2008 when the market tanked and pulling out all of your money to cash or some sort of bad decision like that. Is it worth it to have that accountability? And do I get peace of mind by having a professional on my side? And do I like and see that value of accountability? If yes, hire one. And if you're going to obsess over the fee, by all means, do it yourself. I've definitely had those conversations, and those aren't fun as well. So is that helpful, Rachel? I think that answers it. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I think it's about just knowing what to expect. You know, we none of us really love surprises in this realm of our life. So, Certainly. yeah, I think it's great. Yep. Great. How about the next question? All right. You touched on this a little bit earlier, but it's it's such a timely question. I'm very nervous about the impact that the new president will have on my finances. When investing with a financial advisor, what safeguards do they have in place to ensure that my assets are protected from fraud and from a volatile market? Okay. This is a good question. And we were just discussing the election a little bit before the break. And let me, let me say again, if you have any questions throughout the week and you want to get your question answered, please go to retirewhileyouwork.com and click the Contact Us button in the top right-hand corner, and we'd love to answer your question on the air. So, so this question about the election and what and what is this? What type of impact does this have on my finances? Now, this is a very uh, this is a very normal question and a very normal fear, but it's not very rational. So no, don't take offense to that. Let's just look at it this way. I, I think just in general that we give the president and anybody in office in Congress, way too much credit when it comes to controlling the market, the stock market. Now, I've had clients, and I was talking about this before the break, say that it was the end of the world and they were moving to Belize or Puerto Rico or somewhere just when they, when, when Obama won in 2008 and 2012. And then I have clients that are saying the same thing now with Trump. And there's just a lot of anxiety and fear around change and the elections in general. And, you know, everyone was just saying before Trump won the election that the market was going to tank 15 to 20 percent. It would it would fall sharply immediately. And then, you know, if, if Hillary won, the market would continue going up. And this could be changing as we speak, but but it really surprised us. The night before the election or the night of the election, the futures were down, gosh, almost 700 points. They even stopped futures trading. So it looked like it was going to be a bloodbath in the market on Wednesday, when in fact it, it turned and the market ended up hitting its high it's a high point over the next couple of days following the election. So the point is nothing to do with Trump or um, good or bad. It's that we really have to move past who is president and focus on the economic policies. You know, lowering taxes, less regulation. These are generally good for business. But you know, there's also um, there's also you have to think about the federal debt and can will there be enough growth to support the lower taxes and is less regulation truly good or is that going to leave some people behind? So there's pros and cons to both philosophies, but the stock market tends to do pretty well when there's some sort of balance. And our founding fathers put those checks and balances in place, and it's worked fairly well from the standpoint that America tends to kick the can down the road, and we continue to wake up, and the sun comes up every morning, and, and we move on. A um, couple things I want to say as well is, you know, the markets move typically based on one thing, and that's our companies making money. And are they spending more in the economy? And the part of the question, Rachel, I think was about, you know, how do advisors use safeguards? Was that part of the question? Yes. Okay. Safeguards. Mm -hmm. Well, the best, I'll say this, the best risk management plan an advisor can use is simple asset allocation and diversification and, and leading with financial planning, meaning having those three buckets of money that I always talk about on the show, have an emergency fund with some cash, have your retirement accounts that are long-term investments, have those funded to get the tax benefits, and have that middle bucket, I call it bucket two, 
with some extra investments for liquidity in case you want to retire early or go on a trip or renovate the house. Leading with financial planning and putting yourself in a position where if the market does tank, you always have some money that you can get your hands on or, you know, God forbid, if you lose your job, there's always that backup. This is how you do well in the market. And the day-to-day fluctuations of the stock market don't hurt you near as bad if you have good planning. And so back to 2008, always bring that up because this was a perfect example that the people that were really hurt were the ones that weren't prepared. They had all their money in real estate or they didn't have any cash in the bank and they got really greedy and were buying a bunch of houses and flipping them. And when they couldn't pay the note and the values went the other way, they didn't have cash to support it. And they had to go into foreclosure. And most all financial train wrecks that I've seen throughout my career have been that could have been prevented, let me say it this way, with better planning. So um, also, remember, we have checks and balances. And even though Trump has a Republican Congress, remember, there's not a huge he doesn't have a huge majority. And many, many of his own party on the Republican side are still pretty leery of him and will likely keep him in check if he tries to do something out of bounds too much. So I have a little bit of peace um, with that. And to be honest, you know, regardless of who won, I was confident that the market will continue to, to move ahead. We're going to go ahead and go to uh, our next break. And when we come back, we've got several more questions that we want to take from the listeners. You've been tuning in to Retire While You Work on News Radio 1510 WLAC. I'm your host, David Adams. Talk to you in a few. David Adams, welcome back to Retire While You Work. And before the break, we were taking some of the listeners' questions, our top five most compelling questions of the week. And remember, you can go to our website at retirewhileyouwork.com and click contact and send us your question. We'd love to answer it. Or you can also call my office anytime during the week at 615-435-3644. All right, Rachel, what's our next question? Well, I love the way this one starts. We can all relate. It says, my crazy uncle is convinced that the market is going to crash and I should invest in gold. Can you please clarify what the deal is with gold? I love it. The crazy uncle. I think we all have one of these. Absolutely. uh, Uncle or aunt. So uh, I think a lot of people can relate to this. Great question. Oh, boy, where do I start on this one? I'll say that uh, I hear gold come up a lot in conversations, and it's typically when there's some sort of fear out in the marketplace. Gold has historically been a fear-based investment. And, you know, it's entirely emotional. Um, At least the decision process is emotionally based, in my opinion, just over the years. And I'll say this, long-term, I don't think gold is a great investment. It's really more of a speculative play. I think there's a place for it. You know, maybe it's a small part of a portfolio, call it two to three percent, or if it's maybe you just enjoy collecting gold. And then that's, you know, that's not a bad thing. If, If it's something you enjoy, that may turn out to be a good investment. But you have to really think about it. You know, a lot of, when somebody's buying gold, a lot of times it's because they fear that the dollar is going to go to zero or the entire world's going to run off of gold. And if things really get that bad, I mean, what good is gold? Think about it. What are you going to do? Hit somebody over the head with it? <laughs> if you're, you know, fighting for your house and your family, I mean, you're better off to have bottled water and ammunition. I mean, if if it's really if we're at a state of anarchy. So I think gold is really more of that fear-based play. Um, you know, if you want to buy gold, maybe, like I said, if you enjoy collecting it or, you know, buy, buy your spouse, buy a loved one some jewelry, kill two birds with one stone, <laughs> buy some gold and make a nice gift. But don't buy it out of fear. Um, you know, when I see the market down, the stock market's down on TV, 
and I'm seeing these kids in high school and college getting paid eight bucks an hour to go and spin these signs about gold on the side of the road uh, or these infomercials at midnight. You know, I get a little queasy and it typically always happens in a 2008 type of environment or like like recently, right before an election when fear is up. So. Great answer. Thanks, Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Moving on. This is a weighted question. And so I know you're going to have a lot to say about it, but I think it's great. Let me stretch out a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Prepare. I'm trying to give my parents advice on how to find a financial advisor. What is your best advice? Okay. A lot of financial advisor questions today. So, Um, okay. Parents. Okay. Well, first, you know, I love this question. It's very, very important for our aging parents to get good information on this subject. And I'll do this. I have kind of my favorite tips that I, I, I like to explain to clients when they ask this question for aging parents. And they're, and they're as, as follows, no certain order. Um, okay, I think that, you know, anytime you get a financial advisor who gives you a cold call and you don't know um, or you never heard of, gosh, I don't know how to say this nicer. It really should be sent packing. I mean, hang up. A successful advisor, um, you know, probably doesn't have to cold call and look for clients that way. Hopefully you're going to find them by word of mouth, asking your CPA, your attorney, your neighbor, and clients are going to seek him or her out. So I think that's very important. Now, maybe if somebody's new in the business, um, you know, they, everybody's got to grow a business somehow. But more than likely for your parents with their retirement, you want someone that has experience. Um, you know, they always say, what is it they always say? You want to find a young doctor, you know, not one that's still in school, but maybe in their 40s and not about to retire, right? Something that's like perfect. that. <laughs> Um, all right. So another. So that's the first thing um, you want to be. You want to get a, a word of mouth referral. Um, and if and if an advisor comes and knocks on your door or has time to come to your house for a meeting, and there's always exceptions. Something's probably wrong. You know what are they selling? That would put my um, antenna up there if an advisor's coming over to mom and dad's house. Um, you know I think it's very important that. Um, and if you if you're able to go with your parents, this would be great. But to make a point to visit the uh, the advisor's office that you're considering. And pay careful attention to, you know, how they keep their professional space. Is it neat? How does it feel inside of there? What's their staff like? I have a lot of uh, clients that will or, um, bring their parents in because they want to be able to help assess this with their parents. I think that's a great thing to do. Now, you know, if you're married or have a life partner, a potential advisor should really have already should already know this fact by asking you and should really only agree to meet with you if you're willing to bring your partner along. And I think this is great. As an advisor, I always ask in a first meeting that a potential client brings their, their partner. And if they can't, and if it's just a situation where they need to get in, I would strongly encourage you to bring your spouse to the next meeting or to make sure mom and dad go at the same time. And you want the advisor to see the importance in this as well. So that that's the only way you can get true planning and get everybody on the same page. Um, now, Susie Orman, she, you know, and I agree with some of this. She, she, she always make talks about what a good financial advisor will ask you and the question. So here's a few that I know she's brought up over the years. How is your health? And this is a big one, in my opinion, because if you're, if you're not healthy, then first of all, you need to start planning things like estate planning and your medical care and maybe your income if you have to go to a long-term care facility. So that's important is to ask about your parents, what kind of health are they in? That's going to dictate a lot of the planning. Are they in debt? This is probably number two. These are very important questions. And, you know, are you are you going to be responsible for your aging parents? Do your parents have a will or trust? Do you? Are you planning to inherit this money? And do we need to talk about estate planning and how that money should be invested? And as it trickles down the family, um, you know, do your parents, do they still have to make a major 
purchase. Like maybe it's a new car or they've got to put a roof on the home, probably not looking to move. Uh, or maybe they're looking to downsize if they hadn't already um, accomplished that. But these are all questions that need to come up. Of course, do they have a retirement plan? You know, how are they going to spend their money? Are they meeting their bills? Um, and are they funding? Are they continuing to fund their retirement plan? Are they spending it? What about life insurance? Saving for their kids' education? Do they want to put money in the grandkids' college funds? All of these questions, and I know those are a lot to throw at you at once, all of these questions need to come up in a first meeting. If an advisor is not taking the time to ask these questions, it begs the question, are they just looking to get on to selling a product or getting your business? You want somebody that cares, and I think that's the case really in anything. Um, let's see, a couple more things. I think that, and I'm a little biased here, but I would say this, whether I was in the business or not, your advisor should be a certified financial planner, CFP. And this really just means that he or she cares enough about you know their career and their clients that they've gone through at least a two-year certification process, and they have you know yearly continuing education requirements that require them to stay up to date on the kinds of information that you're going to need for a good financial plan. And back to the last question, Rachel, you read a question about how advisors get paid. They should tell you up front how they get paid, how much. Make sure your aging parents understand this. Very, very important. Full transparency. And, oh, yeah, and in in kind of in the light, a negative topic, but it comes up, unfortunately, you know, with scams and, gosh, the Bernie Madoffs of the world and those type of situations, very important that you never are asked by your advisor to write a check directly to him or her. It sounds like common sense, but you'd be surprised how many times this happens. You should only write a check to the brokerage firm or the insurance company, the financial services firm. Um, these are these are the entities that are regulated um, by the government and different types of regulators. Gosh, I need a break. That's, That's a, a lot, lot of good advice there. And trust your gut, it sounds like, and a lot of these things, bottom line, right? You're right. I mean, you could summarize all those. That's a great point, Rachel, and to trust your gut. At the end of the day, it's about integrity and, you know, is this somebody you want to sit across the table from? Are they talking over your head? Do your parents feel comfortable with them? Because, right. you know, they're getting this dog and pony show and talking about all these complicated products. Is that really going to make your parents feel safe? And the answer is probably not. They just want to know that they're not going to run out of money. And that they're going to be okay. And that all our parents want to know? Exactly. So, great question. And if you're just tuning in, this is Retire While You Work. And I'm your host, David Adams. And we're going through some of the top listener questions of the week. And you can submit yours to retirewhileyouwork.com and click contact in the top corner. Or you can always call me directly at 615-435-3644. All right, do we have another question? We do, and I think this one applies to a broad spectrum of, of ages, especially. I wonder this. Which is more important, saving for retirement or paying off credit card debt? I just need some real strategies if the answer is both. Okay. Well, the answer is both, so I've, I guess I'm, I've got to get some real strategies. So let's do it. Yes, absolutely both. Um, let's, let's first do this. This is how I'd approach that question. Let's categorize debt into good and bad debt, and there is such a thing. So... The bad debt would be, you know, your credit cards, these 10% interest credit cards, some even higher. Uh, car loans. Why do I say car loans? Because typically, well, always, I mean, a car is a depreciating asset. So this is something that's going to continue to go down in value while you continue to pay interest. Typically, credit cards and car loans have, you know, higher interest rates. And even if your car has a lower interest rate because it's a depreciating asset, I'd put this in the bad category, not shaming you for having it, but saying this is one that we need to pay off sooner rather than later. And then on the good debt side, this would be, of course, your house. And a house over time typically appreciates. 
And this is a place you're raising your family and that you're calling home. And it has a lot of benefits to you. And it's um, it's a debt that I'm comfortable um, seeing most of my clients keep. And maybe student loans could be in this category as well. But I would always pay the bad debt off right away. I mean, think about it. If you're paying 10% on a credit card, that's a guaranteed return of 10%. And the good debt, I think you do a hybrid approach. So you save for retirement while you continue to pay down that mortgage. So have your advisor come up with a plan where you're doing both and then use any extra monthly cash to pay off the rest of the debt while you're building up buckets two and three. All right, great questions, Rachel. Thank you so much. And when we get back from break, we're going to talk with Rachel more about her passion in the health industry and about your aging parents. I'm your host, David Adams, and you're listening to Retire Where You Work on News Radio 1510 WLAC. And we'll be back in just a few. Hello and welcome back to Retire While You Work. I'm your host, David Adams. And before the break, we were answering our top five most compelling questions of the week. Be sure to submit yours to us at retirewhileyouwork.com and click contact. Or you can always call me at 615-435-3644. Now, every week in our last segment, we bring in a guest who we hope that's going to help you get in that Retire While You Work mindset. But talk having some sort of topic that can help take a little something off your plate so that you can enjoy life and make the most of your time. That's the point of this show, and that's really the point of life And when it comes to our managing our money and how to make that happen. And we've been lucky to have uh, Rachel here with us for the entire show today. And if you're just joining us, I introduced Rachel at the beginning of the show, but I'll say again a few words about Rachel. Not only is she a great person and a great mother, she lives in Murfreesboro with her two sons and her husband, and she is a successful blogger and has a regular health and wellness segment on Nashville's NBC affiliate WSMV. WSMV. She's a juicer and blogs for Joe Cross of the documentary Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. And she appears on Juicing Radio and really just has a passion for holistic health, sells essential oils for doTERRA, educates a lot of her clients and friends. And we are excited to have you here today. Rachel, you sound very busy. busy I am lady. very busy. And, Mom and, and juicer and, and blogger. Well, yes. And and as it relates to today's topic, you know, you and I were talking about the sandwich generation, and it is alive and well in my house. So oh, yeah. I, uh, my little boys are seven and four, and my dad's 78 and has dementia, and I'm his sole caretaker. And so it's... It's constantly being pulled in different directions. You're even busier than I thought on paper. Right. So you are the literal right. definition of the sandwich generation. Absolutely. So how does that how does that feel? I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of responsibilities and pressures and exactly. Um, I was just talking to my husband this morning about this very thing about how overwhelmed I feel at the moment and going into the holidays. Um, but it's you know I wouldn't have it any other way. I love all the people in my life and and I'm glad that you know to to have been given the responsibility of of, you know, caretaker, but it's, it comes with a lot of responsibility. It does. Well, I'm sure you're great at it. And thanks for being on the show. And, you know, when it, so let's talk about in terms of keeping our families healthy, um, you know, how much does financial planning really play into that feeling of, uh, you know, feeling healthy, safe, and secure as we age? How is, is that an important part, would you say? Well, we learned that firsthand with my dad that, yes, it's very important. You know, last time I was on the show, we talked a lot about um, physical health, you know, eating well, exercise, things like that. 
Um, but I think, you know, coping with all of those changes and the other ones um, that go along with aging can be really difficult. Um, and you just need to, to plan for it um, on the front end. The keys to really coping with a lot of that include things like your long-term lifestyle, your ability to expect and plan for change, which is what we're talking about today. Um, certainly the strength of your relationships with your, your family and friends and, and your willingness to stay interested and, and just involved with life. That's so important I mean, having, to having, mental health. Absolutely. Having a, having a purpose, having a greater purpose and exactly. hobbies, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, okay. So you mentioned, you know, something about your father. Do you mind? Is that something you mind speaking about the situation with your father? Yeah, we um, we had a very unfortunate situation a, a couple of years ago. Um, you know, it was sad and scary and, and angry, um, all rolled into one. And luckily, we're sort of on the, the other side of that now. But in our case, I think I mentioned I'm an only child. My mother passed away when I was in high school. She had cancer. My father never remarried. So okay. he and I are literally it in terms of our family. Um, you know, my career, my family, my entire life um, were 200 miles away from him. So he became ill. Um, and we did like a lot of people do. We turned to a, a longtime trusted family friend to provide his care. We didn't want to dip into his long-term care insurance too early. You know, there's a limit okay. to a lot of those policies. And so um, this was someone that we knew and trusted. Um, and, and there was also, you know, that was first and foremost. But there was also the factor to consider that it was just much less expensive than using an agency right off the bat. Okay. Um, however, I will say I've since learned that financial abuse is among the most prevalent form of elder abuse, um, and the vast majority of those cases are committed by loved ones, friends, family members, and that sort of oh thing, gosh, unfortunately. That so? And so um, that happened to us, you know? Oh no. Yeah. So, so this was somebody that was coming to the house and providing physical oversight and care yes, every day? Or? Yes, a paid caretaker. Um, so, yeah, it was it was very unfortunate. Um, you know, luckily, we discovered it um, early on, just after a few months. Um, but, you know, there were things that that we could have done and, and put in place that hopefully maybe would have prevented some of this. You know, I think one of the, the biggest things is I could have said, hey, Dad, let's sit down. Let's go talk to a financial advisor, you know, years before any of this ever happened. Right. Um, right. And we didn't do that. So, you know, I think what we're talking about today is so important and so pertinent planning. For those types of things, right? So, is that one of the what would be the key, you know, pieces of advice you would give to our listeners when it comes, you know, to maybe that looking back, other than getting a financial planner, is that the big one, or is there something? I think else? that would be a big one, and and maybe you know, in in my mind, and maybe you can elaborate on this, but I would think meeting with a financial planner would have helped sort of take me out of the middle of some of that because what I really needed to say was we need some checks and balances and oversight in place of your bank accounts, your credit card statements, sure. you know, that sort of thing, and that's a very difficult conversation to have when your loved one is, you know, still alive and well and maybe even still working and, and you know, has the mental capacity to, to be able to do those things on their own. And this caretaker, I imagine, developed a very close relationship with your father and that's how they really had access to the funds and that sort of thing. Exactly. And, you know, I think a, a lot of times when, you know, before this happened, when I thought of this situation, I would have think of, you know, the big bad wolf coming in all of a sudden. And, you know, a lot of times big crimes follow small crimes. And so these things can start out. And in our case, it did. Um, like just keeping the change, you know, the extra change from a grocery bill. You know, it can start very small. Wow. But yeah. then you notice bank accounts that are bleeding money, you know, that cannot be explained, you know, and things like that. So, um, you know, just knowing what to look for on the front end. And again, we just didn't. We were very naive when it came to this sort of thing. Right. Well, I think most people are. I mean, it's the same thing that the I see on our side of the table. These, these you know, cyber scammers, they'll go and 
they'll they'll call and develop a relationship with an elderly person and they will next thing you know they you know tell them to send a thousand dollars for some investment and then if they're able to get into their bank account and it goes through and they build a relationship then it's ten thousand and then comes the big hit exactly and it's it's it, i mean i've seen it happen several times and oh, it's, it's, it's so sad. common and it's just it's just disgusting it i is. mean it is but, to take advantage of an elderly person who needs care you know absolutely so yeah so having some of those mechanisms in place and just thinking about this beforehand um well thanks for sharing that um you know, and I've seen it so many times as our parents are aging, they really try to pretend that they have all the answers and they can do all of this on their own. And we all know that. I mean, none of us can do it on their own. Right. So I don't know. Do you think that a lot of times for, for our parents' generation, is it just a matter of pride or is it just a lack of knowledge, shame? What is it? In our case, it was both. I mean, it was definitely that lack of knowledge on the front end. You know, we didn't we didn't have a financial planner, um, so we didn't have the knowledge in place to be able to prepare well. Um, but then I think it definitely comes down to pride. You know, my dad didn't want to be a burden on us, you know, and he felt very strongly that I really needed to focus on my husband, my children, my career, you know, again, 200 miles away. And so he didn't want to um, burden me or concern me or worry me, you know, with a lot of these things. Right. And yeah, I saw that with my grandfather as he as he aged and my 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 mom and dad started moving out of their bedroom to allow him to move in on the first floor. And he felt a lot of shame and he felt like he was a burden and it was really hard on him. It was hard on everybody, but I saw a lot of, a lot of pride, pride suffer from that. And so there's a lot of emotions at play. Um, that's great. That's great thoughts. What advice do you have for, for other children that may be listening when it comes to their parents' finances? You know, like I said, I mean, I think the biggest thing would be to to work with a financial planner, sort of take you, you know, out of the hot seat there sure. um, and get some some good advice and, and planning. Um, I would say, you know, when the time comes, because it will, to choose options for caregiving. You know, and that was my dad's big thing. He lived on the family farm that he was born in the old farmhouse. Oh, you know, wow. it's been in our yeah. family 100 years. Sure. So he didn't want to leave. You know, he didn't want to just immediately go to a facility. So I think when the time comes to, to choose care, use a reputable caregiving agency. Um, you know, someone that that knows someone's background and work history and that sort of thing. In our case, even a background check wouldn't have mattered because this was a first time offense for this oh, person. Right, so right. I think just using that reputable caregiving agency um, can be, you know, yep. invaluable. Having a team, having somebody other than yourself. Exactly. I, I That's agree. what it all comes down to. Okay. Now let's, you know, changing gears from the financial aspect, how does health and wellness play really when it comes into staying mentally astute for our parents? You know, when as we age, I think we think a lot about physical health, um, but the mental health of older adults is really important, and it's very much interconnected to that physical health that we talk so much about. Um, for instance, you know, people who have physical problems like heart problems and diabetes are more likely to develop mental health problems. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then people with depression or anxiety, you know, on the front end are more likely to develop physical problems. So in addition, you know, I think older adults with mental health problems may experience them as physical Physical problems, you may notice those signs at first, things like um, a lack of energy, trouble with memory, trouble concentrating. Um, many of us, many people mistake the symptoms of depression, anxiety, you know, fearfulness, other mental health problems for the aging process itself. We think, oh, well, they're just getting older and that's part of it. Um, you know, a lot of people think that things like confused thinking, irritability, depression, loss of energy, they're just signs that someone is getting older rather than signs that someone needs help. 
and typically the aging process itself doesn't normally cause you know those very sudden intellectual or emotional changes so i would just say you know be aware of that on the front end a lot of times we just kind of just say well they're just getting older and we don't really look into the the root cause exactly exactly what about other things just as far as whether it's you know an active lifestyle or i know you do a lot of with juicing and you know with diets and stuff that's probably hard probably hard to have uh, to have that conversation with your parents but any any you know advice there when it comes to aging parents and exercising and the way they eat and little things they can do yes all that is important but <laughs> I think that's the key is baby steps you know little things things like um you know being careful about your sleep try to get you know enough sleep um, more sleep you know if you can try to drink more water limit your caffeine and alcohol intake um, you know and maybe suggest a small goal like have a piece of produce with each meal you know if they're not right. typically you know I know in my dad's case he's very much a, a meat and potatoes kind of guy so. Parents, so you're trying to get them <laughs> yeah. to go to Whole Foods and get organic and they see the price. I mean, there's just, there's a resistance to that, you know, outside of potato chips and meat and potatoes and all that. Exactly. Know? Exactly. We know, and, and I grew up and, and we, you know, in the South. And so vegetables were fried, fried okra, fried Crack, squash. Cracker barrel. I know, right? Uh, exactly. Yes. That's a vegetable. So just, just changing, working on changing that mindset a little bit um, and, and those small steps, you know, with exercise, it becomes really important when you get older too. So try Absolutely. to do it, you know, how you enjoy it. Well, Rachel, there's, I mean, we could talk for hours on this. Absolutely. I want to have you we back could. on another segment because, I mean, this is, this is as being a financial advisor and working with retired clients, this is stuff that I need to continue to learn about as well. Thank you for joining us. T- tell me, uh, how can our listeners reach you during the week? Find me online at holdingherown.com. That's my blog and all my contact info's there. Awesome. Yep. Thank you so much. Great having you. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this, this week's show. We'll catch you next Sunday. Thanks for tuning in with us. If you need to reach me during the week, you can call me at 615-435-3644 or visit retirewhileyouwork.com and submit your question or request a meeting. You can always come by and see our team in the office in the historic 12 South Nashville neighborhood. We'd love to see you. I'm David Adams. Remember that life is short and there are many more important things to worry about than money. And I certainly hope that this show helps. Have a great week.